Hi friend, welcome to the Quiet Connections podcast. Do you feel anxious and not good enough in social situations? Feel like you're weird, broken or don't fit in? You are not alone. Join Hayley and Stacey on a journey to quiet confidence. Picking up key insights to help you feel more calm and confident. So you can finally speak up, join in and feel like you belong too. Hello and thank you for joining us on the Quiet Connections podcast. Do you find yourself avoiding relationships? Or maybe self-sabotaging, silencing yourself? Or are you a people pleaser feeling like you just can't be yourself? We explore all of this and more in today's episode with relationship coach Jerry Souter. This conversation will make you think about what you really want in your relationships. And at the end, you'll take away Jerry's key tips for creating that loving connection that you deserve. My name's Hayley. Let's dive in. Welcome, Jerry. And today we're talking about relationships, which is really exciting. So I wonder if you could just begin by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about the work that you do and who you work with. Yes. So hi, Haley. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm looking forward to the chat. And just a little introduction around who I am. I'm Jerry Suter. I'm a love and relationship coach. And I specialize in women's empowerment and conscious dating. And I support single women and women who are already in relationships, but maybe not quite blissfully happy to uncover the root causes of any unhealthy relationship patterns that are keeping them stuck. And so that they can feel worthy of being in the relationship that they really want. Fantastic. And can I ask what your experience are with feeling not good enough or maybe socially anxious and avoidant? Yeah, so I found over the years when I really started to examine the cause of the sometimes destructive relationships I was finding myself in over the years, a lot of it was down to me not feeling good enough. And around that kind of sense of when I was when I was dating or looking for a potential partner, it was more around me asking myself whether they wanted me and whether I was good enough for them, rather than me even thinking about whether I wanted to be in a relationship with them. And then if something didn't, you know, go my way, or if I felt like I got rejected, it, I was always finding the reasons why I wasn't good enough for the relationship that I wanted, whether it was my way or the way that I looked or like whatever was going on, like in all of my insecurities that were coming up. And and I find that a lot with the clients that I work with now as well, they come to me thinking that they need support with finding the partner. But what they really need to do is go into restoring that relationship with themselves so that when the, when the potential partner does appear or the relationship appears that they feel good enough to to actually have it and so that they can see it and enjoy it I can absolutely relate to that <laughs> absolutely like meeting somebody was extremely 
difficult because being very socially anxious and feeling like I'm not good enough I tended to just you know avoid situations um, where I would have to socialize and talk to people and kind of show up and be seen as much as possible and if I had to do them then I would show up drunk um Mm, you know a lot of my socializing was just done in the in the bars and and that's a really difficult place to start a relationship yes it is and I also completely relate with that because for me what that not feeling good enough looked like is then I kind of went into performance and I also use substances to you know boost my confidence and to kind of put on this persona or this idea of what I thought like someone that might be popular on the dating scene or whatever would be like so this whole like party girl persona and just like going out all the time when that wasn't really who I was and wasn't what I really enjoyed doing. Yeah and I can remember kind of waking up the next day and being like oh that I just feel so feel awful I feel really shameful and I can't believe that I behave like that and and then on the other side of it now I kind of have to live up to this more outgoing chatty extroverted persona that I thought I'd put on the night before and um yeah it I it just was a real cycle for me that I was like showing up not as I am and that exacerbated that fear of rejection for me I think yeah absolutely and for me it went it went as far as that I even ended up in a relationship that I was in for two and a half years where I was completely pretending to be someone that I wasn't just to please this person or so that they wouldn't leave me and sometimes when like the real me would come out this partner would be like well I don't even know who you are like who is this person or he would say things like you know why do you act completely differently with your friends than you do around me or than you do around your family or like around other people and there there just wasn't this kind of like thread of me being myself it was a bit like being like a chameleon or something like I would adapt Mm. my personality and who I was depending on like the circumstances and who I was around and adapting to what I thought they wanted for a really long time. Yeah I find that when avoidance just isn't an option then kind of the next step is to be people pleasing and trying to show up and be perfect and be the person that you think other people want to see and well that is just so so hard to keep up it takes up so much energy doesn't it? It is it's absolutely exhausting and that's what kind of I suppose spurred me on into a shift of that because it did just get to the the stage where I was just mentally exhausted, physically exhausted. And like what the the job that I was in, I was having to constantly put on a performance there. And then at home, it was the same thing. And I just didn't feel like I had any space at all where I could just completely be myself. Yeah. Do you feel like you kind of lost yourself and maybe didn't even know who you were at that time? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it took a really and I kind of did you know this whole cliche of like I left my job and I went traveling and that was a whole rediscovery journey for me because I actually had no idea who I was or what I wanted I kind of pursued this path you know this very traditional like left school went to work in an office ended up in kind of like corporate and I had this goal of like you know 
climbing the ladder, ladder to management and like I have no idea why I wanted any of these things I think it was just kind of like what I thought I should want yeah and and, it, and I think it just kind of hit me when I was living in London and I was like working in the financial sector and I had this really nice apartment and you know good job in quotation marks and I was just deeply deeply unhappy mm. and it didn't make sense because I thought well I have everything that I wanted. I have everything that I've worked so hard for and I'm not happy. And then coming to that realization of actually this, none of this was what I wanted and none of this is who I am. Wow. I'm, I was laughing with you then because I think, I mean, I can totally relate to that as well. And sort of my ambition was to kind of be a solicitor get good money definitely climb the career ladder Mm -hmm. be this like independent woman have a family settle down by the age of 30 I'm you know into my 30s now so this is this hasn't happened (laughs) but I think you're right society kind of gives us these unspoken kind of rules that we need to you know find a partner and settle down and be thinking about kids and have everything as a woman particularly um before we reach 30 and that's so so hard and it kind of drives us to be like well there must be something wrong with me or to settle down and and put up with something that we don't actually want there's been so many times where I've heard someone say you know I got engaged or I got married because it was the logical next step but there's clearly something missing like we need to drop down and be listening to our hearts yes Absolutely. And I think just to name that, that kind of logical thinking and only using our heads to make decisions, that's really a byproduct of the society that we're in and we're conditioned to, to be that way. And I think especially as, as women, we've lost that art of connecting to our intuition and mm-hmm. to our hearts and to our guts and to our womb space and all of the, this sort of more holistic inclusive decision making process rather than just thinking with our heads of like like you say you know the logical next step is oh get married have the house have the job even though maybe that's not what your heart desires or what you what would really bring you joy in life yeah, absolutely. The heart is where this sense of love and relationship and connection comes from. So we really do need to be tuning into that rather than just going, society tells me that I need to be doing this. Um, and of course, yeah. we're, you know, we're not necessarily aware that this is what we're doing. This is the path we're going down. But we probably feel this sense of unease within us when something's not quite aligned with who we really truly are. Yeah, and that that pressure, and it's interesting as well that you say it's thirty. That was it was exactly the same marker for me. It was like I need to make this type of money by the time I'm thirty. I need to find the partner. I need to have the children. And this whole, you know, I remember even from my early twenties, people saying to me, you know, like biological clock, and you like need to find the man and like settle down. And I'm thirty three now, and I still haven't decided whether I want children or not and I'm engaged to my partner we're getting married when we can when it's possible again (laughs) and um, we haven't decided whether we want children or not and for a long time I actually did think I wanted children and I had that kind of goal and I was you know panicking when I when I was about to turn 30 and thinking oh my god I hadn't met anyone I wasn't with my partner yet I was like oh my god it's the end of the world 
and this whole panic and I think especially when it comes to having a family or having a partner choosing that out of fear of like oh well you know my biological clock is ticking like those are that is like the reality you know there's the reality and there's also that if you really did want children down the line you would there there are other ways it doesn't just have to be you know natural conception or whatever it is and it's kind of like this making that decision out of fear kind of like from the logical brain rather than the heart yeah I absolutely agree and I'm in a very similar situation as well where it's kind of like if it if it happens um you know I may adopt in the future I'm open to that but I'm not going to pressure myself to make that decision and I have friends who have chosen not to have kids and they are very happy um living very full lives being child free and that's a wonderful alternative that I hadn't really considered or seen before yes and it's and I think it's the it is the appreciation and the knowing that now we do have those options that maybe our parents didn't have or didn't realize that they had and Mm. kind of we do get to we are empowered to make those choices and we don't just have to follow the path that society lays out for us yeah okay let's talk about dating because you mentioned earlier something about actually making a choice and I think quite often we tend to fall into relationships especially when we feel like we're not good enough um and that was kind of my experience until my partner now um was basically just falling into relationships usually drunk and not actually making a conscious decision but feeling like I had to be grateful that somebody was just giving me some attention I think for me, what the the shift that happened there is when I realized (laughs) I was similarly to to you, I was kind of just ending up in relationships, falling into them, meeting someone, they would give me the attention and validation that I wanted, and then we would end up together. And a lot of the time, at the end of these relationships, I would realize, you know, I don't even like this person. Mm. Like, I don't even enjoy their company. I wouldn't even want them as a friend. And I've spent years of my life with them just because of, like, the crumbs they were giving me. And I think for me, it became around it. And I remember being asked, I think it was either by a coach or by a therapist, what do you actually want in a relationship? So this relationship that you so deeply desire, that you're seeking, that you want to be in, what what does it actually look like? And I had no idea. I didn't have a clue. I was completely stumped. I just didn't have an answer And I think because I didn't have any models around me, like many of us, of what healthy relationships look like Mm. or what I could be aspiring to, I just had what I thought was normal in quotation marks. And and I had to really take the time. I did take a break from dating for a while to really get clear on what do I actually want? Like what is important to me in a relationship? What are my values? What are the things that are non-negotiables? What are the things that are just kind of like the cherry on top that are like nice to have? And then I had to begin to go through the process of when I was dating, of kind of like, it sounds a bit strange, but like screening my partners of like potential partners, like, you know, do they fit this criteria? Like, do they have the same values that I have? Do they want what I want? 
And a lot of clients that I work with, they're sometimes horrified when I tell them, you know, I would tell potential partners on very early on that I wanted to get married in the near future. And, and you know, our society has this like has built into us this conception of, oh, you can't tell a man you want to get married or you want to commit because they'll run a mile and you'll tear him away and et cetera. And I just got to the point where I thought, you know, if that's going to be their response, that's not the type of partner I want. Mm. <laughs> I don't want to be with someone who is scared of commitment or who doesn't want commitment or who doesn't want to get married because that was a value that was important to me. And it saved me a lot of time in the long run because I got to just let go of the partners that didn't want what I wanted or that weren't in alignment. And it was challenging in the beginning to have those conversations. And it was just around really, it was practice and creating enough safety and self-soothing and kind of, you know, preparing myself to be able to have those conversations and just getting really clear with myself that I wasn't going to just settle for less or that I just wasn't just going to end up in some relationship that and for me the worst case scenario alternative was well I'll end up on my own and that was the thing that I was most scared of and I even had to come to terms with that to think okay well if I don't meet someone who shares the same values as I do then then so be it and I had to really come to terms with that as well yeah I think it can be really hard to connect with someone and to feel like you are being seen and heard and and loved because we tend to keep these barriers up and we feel very resistant sometimes to expressing our thoughts and our feelings and opinions for fear of rejection so what advice do you give to people who are in that kind of place so with rejection this is what I actually did my live on today in my Facebook group because I always get questions around how to deal with rejection and it's something we all feel and it's so common and I think it's just normalizing that we all have that fear of rejection that it's completely human and what I kind of share around that is to really allow yourself to go into the feelings giving yourself permission to be with those feelings that are coming up when the rejection arises whether that be you know you've been vulnerable and you've shared with someone and they haven't responded in the way that you've wanted and it's around being with that that's upset me or it's made me angry or it's made me sad or I feel unsafe or whatever it is and really allowing yourself to process and be with those feelings and the second part is around really I think we attach so much meaning and we create stories around what rejection means Mm. and more often than not it's to do with the other person it isn't something that we've done or it isn't about who we are if that if the person that you're communicating with isn't able to see you or hear you or receive what it is that you have to say then that's on them that's for them to process as long as you've done your part of communicating it in a respectful way and in a conscious way and all of those things it's around seeing that the rejection doesn't mean anything about you as a person and it takes time and it's kind of like for me it's a process of just constantly reminding myself and that and it doesn't only show up in relationships it shows up in all areas of life with career opportunities and other things and it's going back to what I find as well as just the soothing of our inner child because that's often the part of us that is coming up to be seen when we're feeling rejected and just allowing ourselves 
and giving ourselves permission to feel that and not making ourselves wrong for feeling rejected. Mm, so I'm hearing some themes around self-soothing and permission, um, and probably yeah. a lot of compassion. Yeah. And like you said earlier, if we kind of, we grew up with healthy role models around us, it's easier to step into that place and be more communicative. But my parents, they didn't communicate with each other at all. If my mum had something to say, she'd have a few drinks first and then my dad would walk out. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I thought that you just had to be quiet and put up with it and not cause conflict. And I think we have this real kind of misconception around the idea of conflict. So yep. is there something that you can share with us on that? Mm-hmm. Yes, so I think, again, it's around the stories that we create in terms of conflict as long as, again, you know, I was putting this in the in the kind of framework of as long as a disagreement is respectful and you're open to hearing the other person's ideas and thought process, then conflict isn't necessarily bad in quotation marks. It's kind of we've created the story that conflict mm-hmm. is bad. And, you know, there's there's different ways and types of arguing and, and having conflict. And there are types that are very destructive and that aren't healthy at all and that aren't nice to be in. And there's ways of working through conflict where it's just open and honest communication. And I completely hear you on it's so challenging because I think it hasn't been mod- modeled for most of us. Let's face it, there's probably you know few and far between there are people who have had healthy communication modeled to them by parents it's not modeled in society we're not taught it in school and it's around kind of taking that responsibility of you know communication is challenging for me like how can I how can I practice this and practicing it in a way where in the beginning where it might be low stakes in quotation marks you know Mm -hmm. like not going in with like a really big issue But starting with something like, you know, it frustrates me when, I don't know, you don't wash the dishes or whatever, and this is how it makes me feel. And I would really appreciate it if you if you were to help with that. And, and kind of like, what I find with communication is really framing the needs that we have and why we need that and how it's making us feel. And then also always be open to the fact that it is an exchange and the other person might not want to do that or might not want to change their behavior but then at least you've expressed like how it is that you feel or what it is that you need or want yeah certainly you've given them the opportunity to then yeah so something else that came up for me quite a lot was self-sabotaging um it was kind of like I was rejecting myself first before anybody else could do that and I really expected to be rejected And I think when I was dating, when I was younger, I was putting people on a pedestal. I was thinking they've got all these amazing qualities and I was both like attracted and repelled by that because they were so amazing. They were were much more likely to reject me. So um, yeah, self-sabotage. Is there like any advice for recognizing it when it's happening or, um, you know, how to get out of that cycle, I suppose? Yeah, so I was someone who was in that cycle for a very long time in the relationships that I was in. And I think the first step is definitely having the awareness that it's happening and recognizing 
beginning to recognize what the patterns are. So what your particular type of flavor or self-sabotage looks like. So for me, for example, it was picking arguments like just out of nowhere, like creating Mm. drama. That was kind of like my self-sabotage thing, creating drama, creating arguments, creating conflict. So that, you know, so the reason I was doing that was to protect myself because I was scared of the intimacy that would happen if I didn't create all of that drama and and conflict and that kind of like kept me occupied for a very long time and it was around recognizing and I think going back to the compassion of okay this is why I'm doing this it makes sense that I'm doing this based on my past experiences based on my childhood based on you know the relationships that I've had it absolutely makes sense that I'm engaging this pattern and then what it looked like for me was slowly beginning to inter. how can I interrupt this pattern? How can I take baby steps and begin to shift that? So one of the things that was a recurring pattern for me was like the text message battles or like mm. arguments, <laughs> which is so unproductive. And it was really, and I was in one very quite destructive relationship where it got to the point where I just had to say I'm not having any contact with this person by phone or by email or whatever it is because it would just spiral into a huge argument and I had to take that baby step of okay how can I like pattern interrupt myself well when I see the message come up what can I do instead what can I do to soothe myself when that's coming up go on a walk instead like call a friend instead or speak to someone who can support me through it, or think about all of the reasons why it's not, not maybe not a good idea to respond to the message, or kind of just do something to, in a, a, and kind of a healthy distraction, not like go and have a drink or do like whatever, like that kind of unhealthy way of pattern interrupting, mm-hmm. but more like the healthy way of how can I kind of start to identify and also identify the root cause of what was happening or what was coming up for me when that pattern, why it was so hard to not respond to the message, which was around my fears of rejection or my fears of being left and recognizing how can I support myself within that to shift that. Yeah, I think my pattern was probably more avoidance. Um, and just being distant and cold, probably. And I think the the outcome was that people would just think I wasn't interested and or you know one minute I might seem interested and the next I was running away it was a real push-pull dance I guess and I was kind of the same with you know if a guy would ask me out my immediate response would be no before I even had a chance to think about it or even consider do I want it so you know I wish I needed to just stop and take a breath and actually you know I'll get Mm -hmm. back to you on that that would have been really great um but for me one of the kind of real um real challenges were around the idea of dating and I think we've got this idea that we need to be going you know having a drink together having a sit down meal opposite each other um when you know especially when I was really socially anxious thinking about being surrounded by people who you don't know and being overheard in conversation that's an extra like layer of judgment to be afraid of Mm -hmm. so what's your advice for kind of you know the first date and and onwards yeah I think it's being it's being open to to having dates that aren't necessarily conventional and saying to someone you know like how about instead of going for a drink we go for a walk instead or how about 
like we have a phone call first before we meet in person or just kind of like again taking similarly to to what I was saying earlier about thinking about what is it that you want in a relationship what is it that you want out of the dating experience like what types of dates feel good to you Mm. what kind of like you know what do you want to do on a first date what do you want to do on a second date what do you want to do when once you've gotten to know someone a bit how how much time do you want it to take to get to know their friends or family like thinking through all of these things which then allows you to have that framework and so you're not just going into dating doing things because you think that's what you're supposed to be doing but taking the time to consciously set up what it is that you want the dating experience to look like and knowing that it does get to be different to what you know society dictates so you don't have to go for the drink or the dinner or whatever it is that you get to to kind of set up the dating experience in a way that works for you yeah I had somebody try to take me on a date to a castle for a candlelit meal and you know apparently they had drums banging at you while you were eating and (laughs) it's just absolutely (laughs) terrifying for a first date I love the idea of going on a a walk and Mm -hmm. it just takes the pressure off and it you know you've only got that one thing to think about then just getting to know someone not like you know what I'm am I going to be worried about what to order? Am I going to like the food? Are people going to be listening? Like, you know. You had mentioned earlier around that, you know, avoidance of dating altogether. And I I do have quite a few clients who do go into that avoidance and end up not dating for years, for years and years on end. And then they're frustrated because they're not meeting the person or they're not meeting the partner. And it's around like you have to put yourself out there in order to be able to meet that person. And how can you do that in a way that feels good for you? So again, it's taking those baby steps and interrupting that pattern of, okay, you know, baby step, can I get on this app and like connect with one person this week? Or like, can I go on one day or can I have one conversation and kind of just really yeah taking those small steps towards feeling more confident and being able to put yourself out there to meet someone yeah it's just gently stretching your comfort zone Mm -hmm. I was working with somebody who she was thinking about going on a date and she wanted to do something different but she was really worried about actually stepping up and asking for something different she felt like she was being too pushy taking control and it just felt icky to her And we did a lot of work around actually, how does she reframe that to show up? So what would your advice be? Yes. So again, that goes back to these societal, like the societal conditioning that we've inherited that, you know, the man has to be the one very like gender based, old fashioned, outdated standards of the man has to be the one to initiate the day and he has to be the one to reach out and arrange everything. And I think it's around really getting clear and that ickiness when it's coming up, it makes sense that it comes up because you're doing something different and that's out of your comfort zone and different to what we've been taught to do. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's out of alignment or that it's not something that you want to be doing. So just really working through that ickiness. Where is it coming from? How can I support myself to feel more comfortable with this and what I was doing with one client is she was really afraid when she was dating people to send them the first text that she would always and this is like really really common and I did this as well 
of like she would never ever ever text this person at first like she would always and this was like months into dating like we'd already been dating for a few months and she'd never sent him a text and the way I reframe this for her is I think often what happens looking at this from a female perspective is we often kind of other men in quotation marks like we make them kind of like different or you know not like you know they don't have feelings or whatever and it's kind of like the way I reframe this for her was how would you feel if you were in this person's situation and you've been dating someone for three months and they've never reached out to you mm. and they've never sent the first text and they've never it's not a very for them it's not a very nice space to be in and it's not that you know you need to be the one to reaching out but like maybe just kind of stretching yourself with okay I'll send the first text like I'll send the first text something simple and easy how's your day going like whatever something low pressure and again like going into the root of where is this fear coming from is it coming from the fear of rejection is it coming from the fear of what he'll think is it coming from the fear of him running away and I think it's really building building that evidence bank and it's so funny because I have clients who come back afterwards and they're like, well, I sent the text and it wasn't the end of the world and he didn't leave and he's still here. <laughs> and he was so happy to hear from me and he was so happy that I reached out and it made him feel really good. And it's like, it's kind of building that evidence of things, even though it feels in our bodies because of that ickiness, like the world is going to fall apart if we send that first text. It's not. Mm. in most cases in most cases and the person on the other end will be really happy to receive that and it's thinking about you know when we're dating like what do we want it's like it's nice to hear from someone it's nice to get that text and kind of like being in that balance of if this is what I want to receive and this is the way I want someone to show up for me then I also need to be willing to show up in that way in order for it to be a healthy balanced relationship yeah I love that and remembering that men really aren't so different and it's nice to actually step up and take that 50% and it's just a way of showing that you are into the relationship that you actually Mm -hmm. genuinely do care too so that's a really nice reframe thank you for that When it comes to relationships, I'm wondering if there's kind of a gap between the way that we think a relationship is supposed to be and the way that relationships actually are. Yes, I think there is definitely a gap, which has been created largely by, you know, the media and films and songs and, you know, that relationships are supposed to be dramatic and fireworks and lots of chemistry and like all of those things. And what I found when I started the relationship with my partner now is that the relationship began very differently to what I had previously experienced which was always very chemistry based it was always instant it was like we met and within a week we were in a relationship like this that kind of pattern and with my the partner with now we took time to get to know each other and we were actually friends first and you know we do we are attracted to each other and there is a lot of passion And there's also a lot of stability and there's a lot of groundedness and there's a lot of trust and communication. And it's kind of like this. And for a while, because I'd been so conditioned into believing that relationships always have to be dramatic and difficult and hard, that my mind, my brain just couldn't compute how easy this relationship was. (laughs) 
And it had, you know, it took a lot of inner work on my part to not go into the self-sabotage mode and to be like, you know what, the, the a relationship gets to be calm and it gets to be like a safe space and it gets to be, you know, I get to be with someone who actually hears me and sees me and can communicate and who I trust and feel safe with. And and my mind was going into this story of, oh, well, you know, if it's not passionate and there's no argument, like I was actually worried that we weren't arguing. So that was a genuine worry that I had. <laughs> what is going on? Like, is, this an, is there a problem because we're not arguing? And like, we do have disagreements that they don't turn into like the full blown, you know, explosive shouting mm. matches that I used to have with previous partners. And because that was such an idea that I had of what a relationship should look like, it did make me uncomfortable to not have that. And I wasn't sure whether that was normal in quotation marks. And I think it's just kind of reframing of what a healthy relationship looks like is different for everyone. And everyone has different values and everyone has different kind of expectations on ideas. And that there isn't a normal in quotation marks to be aspired to with whatever you agree with your partner works best for you yeah lovely and I think disagreements can be really really beneficial to a relationship and Mm -hmm. it's an opportunity to get curious and to get to know each other and even if you're never Mm going to agree on a topic it's just a lovely opportunity to really show that you can be there for your partner um, and demonstrate empathy and yeah and I think that's one of the things that really needs to change in the way that we think about relationships um, any kind of disagreement that comes from a place of compassion is actually okay. Yes, and I think it's it's around that, you know, I had that idea of if there's no arguments and something's wrong and there are other people who have the idea of one argument and that's it, I'm exiting the relationship. <laughs> so it's kind of like that balance of knowing that, that disagreements are healthy and normal and that it's okay to have those difficult conversations. And I think there is also a misconception that relationship, if it's the right relationship, it should always be easy and there should never be any challenges and there should never be any disagreements and it's always going to be smooth sailing. And there are a lot of things in my relationship now that are a lot easier than past relationships, but it's by no means perfect and there are there are challenges. And that that is part of being in a relationship yeah. as well. And it's perfectly normal. Yeah, of course, of course. We are, you know, we're human beings. We're growing and learning all the time. From mm-hmm. moment to moment, we're becoming a different person. So there's always going to be something in the relationship that feels like it needs to be worked on. Yeah. But I think that's something that else that's really important to realise is that we're in a relationship to kind of grow together. Yeah. And it can be really yeah. hard to deal with, can't it? Yeah. And I think there's also this misconception that I see a lot around people who have resistance with working with relationship coaches or therapists where they're like, but I should know all of this. Like I should already have this figured out and I should Mm. know how to be in a healthy relationship and I should know like how to do like all of the things. And it's just giving ourselves that grace of if you have any kind of like physical ailment, you would go to a doctor. If you wanted to get fit, you would go to a personal trainer. Like it's exactly the same thing and knowing that actually you know there's no relationship class at school like we're not taught how to relate healthily and that it makes sense not to know and that it's okay not to know and it's okay not to have all the answers 
Yeah, I think it's really fascinating that we train for being in a profession. We like we get training on our health and mm-hmm. fitness, but we don't get training on relationships so often. No, it's kind of that shift of it's okay to to learn and grow and get curious in that area as well. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you or that you're broken somehow. Mm. Okay, so let's say that we have been through some kind of self-development, we have more awareness, um, and we are practicing speaking our truth in our relationship, and it's not met with openness, or we're with a partner who kind of wants to block that connection because it's uneasy for them. How do we cope with that? Yeah, and that's that's really common as well, and I think it's around that coming back to when we're communicating from our truth and from what it is that we want to express, that we're not doing it for the other person, that we're doing it for us and that there is a possibility that it might not be met with openness and that has more to do with them than it does with us. And I think if looking at it from a sort of long-term perspective, if you're with a partner that isn't open to any type of communication at all, that might be something that needs to be looked at. Or if you're dating with someone who isn't open to any communication, and I think it's really around, you know, we can only take responsibility for how we are showing up. Like we can't control what our partners are doing. We can't control how the other person responds. We can only kind of come from a space of this is what I have to communicate and doing it in this way that feels aligned for me. And, and then kind of, it's challenging to do but like letting go of that expectation or that just because we've communicated that we want something doesn't mean the other person has to deliver like that's then on them and to kind of be able to see if they're if 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 they're able to do that and then have the further communication around that and I think it does really depend on the, the level but as long as there is an element of respect there and openness then I think it is always possible to grow those communication skills and to practice them and that kind of leads me to uh, a discussion that we were having within the community around I guess it's kind of questions that have come from two sides of the same coin where one person's asking how do we honor our own reality when we have this awareness that maybe our thoughts aren't real our feelings aren't necessarily coming from what's happening in the moment but could be coming from the past Um, How do we honour our own reality and speak our truth when we're finding that hard and we know that that's not necessarily the the reality? Mm. Um, And then the second question was around how do we make sure we're supporting our partner enough and managing our own need to rescue at the same time? Mm, That's really, those are really good questions. So with the first one, I think it's around, so I'm going to give like an example to make this a bit sort of more tangible. So for me, I know that I have some triggers or activations that logically, you know, to the outside world don't really make any sense. So like, I don't know, like, for example, if my partner stays up late and wants to like read a book or something, sometimes I feel rejected. And I know that he isn't doing anything wrong. He's not being a bad partner. He's perfectly entitled to stay up and read and like me go to sleep earlier. And I know that that comes from past experiences that I had from previous partners. And I think it is possible to hold both the experience of me feeling rejected and the, the discomfort that is arising with that, that that is a reality. Like that is just a simple fact 
that that is what is coming up for me and holding at the same time that I know that it's coming from a past experience, that I know exactly what the trigger is. And yet I can still give myself the permission to feel those feelings. So it's holding the both and because what we don't want to do and what I see a lot in the spiritual community is this kind of like gaslighting of ourselves and like you know well you know like like oh god like that thing happened 10 years ago so I shouldn't be feeling this way and I should be over it now and it's not and those feelings aren't real because they're based on a past trigger like if you are experiencing them in this now moment then they absolutely are real and you get to Mm. to feel those feelings and to process them while at the same time recognizing that it's not something that's happening in the now that is being caused by a past experience. That's brilliant. And that has just brought up um, something that Brene Brown talks about, where she talks about a process of kind of owning what's going on and going, this is how I feel. Mm -hmm. And she says, the story I'm making up is... So she's automatically acknowledging that she knows it's not necessarily true, but she's putting it out there for discussion, for reassurance. And Mm -hmm. in doing it in that way, she's reassuring her partner that it's, you know, this isn't an attack. Yes, exactly. And that's exactly how the communication looked like around this with my partner, where eventually I told him, you know, when you stay up later, like it makes me feel this way and it's nothing to do with you it's to do with this past experience that I had but I wanted to communicate this with you so that you know and you know now he'll do like things to make me feel to support me to feel okay when he's staying up later like he'll give me a little cuddle or whatever to kind of like and it's kind of like that is his responsibility as a partner as well to support me within that and also he doesn't have to change his behavior and it's my responsibility as an adult to reparent myself and to deal with all of my inner child stuff that's coming up around that yeah definitely okay so the second question was about how you know how can I know that I'm supporting my partner enough this person is constantly worried that they're not doing enough to support Mm. their partner who's also experiencing anxiety Mm. and is maybe a little bit further behind than she is right now um and you know, she recognizes that there is this sense of like, I feel like I need to rescue because I kind of can see what's going on and I've been through it and I know what they need to do. So what's your advice there? I think it's very challenging, especially as women, you know, we're more kind of like nurturing and caring. And especially if you are, if you have had a certain experience where you are further along than your partner to not go into that kind of like rescuing mode. And I think it's recognizing that we each have our own journeys and the things that worked for an individual person might not work for their partner. And I think it's being really mindful that at the end of the day, it's a partnership and it's not like, you know, a kind of like therapist client relationship or like whatever it is, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like you're there to be a partner and to support them, but you're not there to save them there is also an element of self-responsibility on them to get the support that they need and being that support as partner while recognizing that ultimately the person might need outside help outside of the relationship to process what's going on for them and that as a partner you might not necessarily be best place to be the person to do that. Mm. I think it can be really hard when 
you're in a relationship with someone who's experiencing anxiety mm-hmm. and you are very empathetic and understanding yeah. Yeah. it can be really really hard to kind of set those boundaries for yourself and you know ask for what you need and mm-hmm. it is it is absolutely hard it is challenging and it's also the recognizing of like yes I kind of have empathy for what my partner is going through and ultimately I also have the responsibility to myself to be taking care of myself supporting myself first and then giving as much as I feel able to to my partner as well to support them through their experience without going into this kind of like savior mode in quotation marks because I think if we're on the receiving end of that it can feel quite challenging because it's like you know you're my partner and now there's this really gray you know zone of now you're trying to help me with like the the challenges that I'm going through and it's kind of like just defining where the line is between that support within the relationship and trying to save the other person in quotation marks yeah and depending on what that looks like it could be very disempowering for your partner as well so they might not even step up and do the work that they need to yeah exactly and it's kind of being mindful to not go into that territory of enabling and I see this a lot with people Mm -hmm. who are in relationships with people who have addictions where it's like eventually you know that the person needs to step up and kind of be able to you, you can't rescue them you can't bring them out of what is going on for them that they need to get the support that they need as well yeah so do you have any last words of advice for anyone who's maybe single and wanting to get into a relationship or in that relationship what are the key things that you want them to take away yeah I think the key things are just about around being really clear if you're single and dating what it is that you're that you want out of the dating experience if you're in a relationship what what your vision is for your relationship what you desire for your relationship and working on communication skills as well when you're dating taking the opportunity to put yourself out there and practice those practicing them in your relationship and also setting boundaries as to you know, what is acceptable for you, what isn't, what is negotiable, what isn't non-negotiable and really, and going back to what we were talking about earlier, of doing everything in a way that feels doable and manageable and in baby steps and soothing yourself along the way. Brilliant. So where can people find you, Jerry, if they want to connect with you and see what you've got on offer? Yes. So I have a website, which is my full name. It's jerrysuter.com. And I'm also on Instagram, the Jerry Suter, and I have a free Facebook group, the Conscious Intimacy Club. And yeah, those are the spaces where you can find out more about me and what I offer. Excellent. Thank you very much for coming in and sharing your wisdom with us, Jerry. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Jerry, and thank you for tuning in. Jerry's details will be available in the show notes on our website if you'd like to get in touch with her. Thanks for listening. You can find the show notes from this episode at quietconnections.co.uk. Before you go, please subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with all future episodes. With gratitude for the support of the National Lottery Community Fund.